Good morning, Faith Family. How's everybody doing today? Good, good morning. So glad you were able to brave the, the loss of time and the loss of temperature. It's a cold morning. I feel like we went back in time into the winter, ready for more spring. But I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Um, and it's always such a joy and an honor and a privilege to share the word of the Lord with you all. In case you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Robert Leto, and I serve as an associate pastor here at Red Cross. I have the honor and privilege of doing so. Um, I, I like to, also wanted to take a, just a moment to, to express my appreciation to our lead pastor, Pastor Jesse Herring, and uh, express our gratitude to God. You know, in so many ways, I really feel like God's been blessing our church. Uh, we've been growing uh, numerically, but most importantly, I really feel like we've been growing spiritually. And a lot of that has to do with the faithfulness of our pastor to preach from this word faithfully day in and day out. So I just want to take a moment just to, just to honor God and give him glory for that and uh, just to express our gratitude to him and for Pastor Jesse. It's an honor and a privilege to sit under him and, and learn how to, how to faithfully preach this word. So thank you guys for joining us in that endeavor today. <clears throat> um, as you may know, I like to start off every sermon I ever preach by expressing that apart from the word of God and the spirit of God, I, I genuinely don't have anything to offer the people of God. And I mean that sincerely. And because of that, because of our, our mutual dependence on the Holy Spirit this morning, you know, my, my dependence on Him to, to articulate this truth and, and hit the Spirit's, our dependency upon the Spirit to receive it, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. So, so pray with me, if you will. <clears throat> Father God, Lord, thank you for this word. God is perfect. It's sufficient. It's inerrant. We go to it, Father, to be equipped for every good work. But Lord, that does not happen apart from the Spirit. So we ask that the Spirit would empower us today, God, to will and to work for your good pleasure, that it would open up our eyes. We say in the words of David, God, open up our eyes that we may behold wondrous truths from your word. God, we are not about mere information on a page, God. We long for transformation in our lives. Lord, we know that this world is broken. We're going to take a look at a passage that, that expresses how that happened, how the world was broken. But we know the story doesn't stop there. God, you sent a carpenter with a hammer, two pieces of wood, and a few nails, and you fixed it. Thank you for that truth, God. Help us to cling to it this morning. Use me as you see fit in this process to proclaim your glory. For the good of your people, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So much theology is jam-packed into the first few chapters of the Bible. Especially in Genesis chapter 3. You know, Genesis chapter 3 has often been summarized by just two words. Maybe you've heard of those words before. Have you ever heard anyone refer to this chapter as the fall? That's such an interesting phrase. I find it interesting because upon reading it, no one literally falls down. But yet, ultimately, every single person figuratively does. You know, falling down can be a... Such a humbling experience, especially if it's done so in public. 
And it can also turn dangerous or even deadly, especially if given the added element of a distance. Some of us in the room, myself included, have already experienced in our lifetimes how falling from just even a few feet can lead to some sort of injury. But do you know the exact point to where things can turn deadly? You know, records have shown that people can usually survive feats or falls from feats of 20 to 25 feet or more. But above that distance, things get very deadly very quickly. You know, scientists were interested in, in searching out the limitations of the human body, and they conducted a study back in 2005. I found this fascinating. They were examining hundreds of fall incidents from victims of various heights and scenarios, and they concluded that no one has ever survived a fall from eight stories or more. In every single incidence they ever studied or looked at, ever recorded, from a distance of around 100 feet or more, there was a 100% rate in fatality. You know, church, this morning, we're also going to be conducting our own study of a fall. But it's not going to come from a scientific journal or some research journal or, or data. No, we're going to be looking at something so much more authoritative and powerful than that. We're going to be examining the Holy Word of God, the Scriptures. And they're going to tell us of the story of just one story with a 100% fatality rate for all mankind due to the fall of just one man. We know this because 1 Corinthians 15.22 says that through the fall of just one man, and that one man being Adam, all die. So let's turn to God's Word together and see firsthand the truth and transforming power that it contains as we read Genesis chapter 3. Would you please stand with me, if you will, in the honor of the reading of God's Word? Again, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. It's the Word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your, your pain and childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the, you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and, his, and for his wife garments of skin and clothed him. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now at least he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. So the title of the message, as you can see, is From Tree to, Ch to Tree. And I want to share with you all the main point, the main truth of the text this morning, which is this. So if you have a bulletin with you and you want to fill this out, please do so. That is, life and death are determined by God's Word. Life and death are determined by God's Word. The first point I want to share with you is coming from verses 1 through 8, where it says that drifting from God's Word leads to rebellion and death. Again, in verses 1 through 8 of this chapter, we're going to see that when we drift away from God's Word, it's going to lead us into a rebellious state and death. Church, do you remember Genesis 1 and 2? Do you remember that everything that God created through the Word of His power had life in it? It had life on it. And God described it as either, as either good or very good. But if this is true, then how have things gotten so bad? I mean, we can't spend five minutes on the news or social media without seeing that things have in fact spiraled into a state of chaos, disorder, darkness, and death. Everything in the world around us, from COVID to cancer, political divisions and riots, and now 
Even the threat of another world war is unfolding before our eyes. Darkness, destruction, and death seem to be lurking around every corner. How have things gotten this bad? And when did things take a turn for the worse? Why has this all happened? And lastly, probably the question that we're all desperately desiring to know is this. Will things ever get any better? I believe that all of those questions can be answered from just one chapter in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. Every single painful problem we're experiencing in the world today can be traced back to this very moment when all of creation fell into a broken condition because of this fall. It is a fall that has broken us all. You know, many lessons can be learned from studying this text this morning, especially the conversation between the woman and the crafty serpent, who Revelation tells us is Satan himself. Notice the start of all the problems when he slithers straight up to the woman, seeking to cause her to doubt God's word. He asks her specifically, did God actually say you shall not eat any tree in the garden? You know, she responds initially by correcting him. Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent responded with a strike that targeted the very integrity of God's word. He, he, he tries to get the woman to question God's motives and his character. He says, you will not surely die. God, does, God just doesn't want you to be like him. You know, it's important that we, we realize this morning that although both the woman and the serpent are talking about God's word, neither one of them are doing so correctly. Both of them have drifted away from what God has originally stated. Hey, see for yourself. Turn back just one page in your Bible. Look in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, where God originally gave the command to the man, saying this, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Did you catch those differences? The woman distorted God's word and the serpent denied it. God never said, neither shall you touch it. The command was solely not to eat of it. She added to what God has originally stated. And the serpent blatantly denied what God said, basically saying, oh, don't listen to him. It won't harm you. In fact, he just, he just doesn't want you to become more like him because if you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll become like him in what you know, both good and evil. So you see, church, I believe the problem here today, in one way or another, both of them have drifted away from what God's word has originally Stated One, by adding to his word, and the other by trying to take away from it. But both create issues. They create massive problems for the life to which God has created. 
in both instances are sadly going to lead into a state of rebellion away from the author of life. And when we do, death always follows. Look at verse 6 in Genesis 3. How would the woman respond? Not just because of what she has heard, but also because of what she has seen. She saw that the food, that it was good for food. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was to be desired to make one wise. She caved into the carnal cravings of the flesh, taking of the fruit and feasting upon it. And not just that, but also giving some to her husband who was with her. And he also ate. You know, I believe Eve often gets a bad rap, doesn't she? We often blame a lot of this on Eve because she was the first person to eat of the forbidden fruit and she gave some to her husband. But we have to remember that the Bible places the blame for the fall squarely upon the shoulders of Adam. Why do I say that? I have two main reasons. The first is this. Coming from what we have just read in Genesis 2.16, God gave the command to man. God gave the command to Adam. He charged him with making sure that no one was to eat of the forbidden fruit. Secondly, and most importantly, Adam was with her. He was standing right beside of her, standing idly by as he allowed his wife to be lured into a fatal choice and said nothing. And not just that, but he also willingly followed her lead by taking of the fruit and consuming of it himself. Church, the repercussions of that deadly decision were immediately felt inside of their body as the symptoms of sin started coursing through their veins. Their understanding was altered, we see in the text, by what they now saw. They realized they were naked. And because of it, they experienced shame for the first time in their entire lives. We know this because the the last verse in Genesis chapter 2 tells us that the man and the woman were naked and unashamed. But now, marred by sin, they feel shame, as well as the need to cover up their differences. They quickly get to work trying to cover up their sin and their shame by sewing together leaves. And not just that, but they also hide behind trees from the presence of God in the midst of the garden. Brothers and sisters, we are so much more like Adam and Eve than we would ever care to admit. We also have failed to uphold the commands of the Lord. We also have rebelled against what He has said. Undoubtedly, there have been times in your own life where you have drifted away from what God's Word has said, questioning it, doubting it, refusing to submit to it. Even today in the world in which we live in, we are still entertaining this same question from the serpent. Did God actually say? Questions such as, did God actually say He has only created two genders? Did God actually say that marriage is to be between one man and one woman? Did God actually say that life begins in the womb? Did God actually say that we shall not murder 
lie, cheat on our taxes, or steal? Did God actually say that looking at another with lust is equal to adultery? Did God actually say that having hatred in your heart towards your brother is equal to murder? Did God actually say that only men are called to be the pastors of a church? What's wrong with the world today? We are. We still have so many people asking the same question of what did God actually say and not enough people who know what God has said. And not just know it, but stand up for it and share it with others. Men in the room especially, myself included, how many times in our own lives have we acted just like Adam? How many times have we sat by the, stood by the side watching idly by, allowing our wives or our children or even ourselves to feast upon the poison that drips off the serpent's tongue? Has God not commanded us to be the heads of our households? Do you know that the word husband literally means the band that holds the entire house together? House band? So I ask you, how, is, how does your household look this morning? I know as of, as of lately, mine has been a little shaky. I've been pouring so much effort into so many other areas of life or, or ministry. But at times, I neglect the first and most important ministry that God has called me to. Men, we must repent and remember that we are called to be the shepherds of our little flocks. We are called to be the ones who lead our families to the word of the Lord. We were not made just to stand on the sidelines of life and watch our loved ones be led astray and taken captive by the enemy. Men, it's time we stand and fight. It's time we stand and take hold of the armor of God. Just as God gave the command to Adam and charged him with the responsibility of stewarding the garden and the welfare of his, his own household, God has also called us to do the same. It's not going to be a matter of if, but when the serpent comes against your own family, ask yourself this, will they be ready? Do they know the word of God? Do they know what God has said? Will they be able to call it to mind in that moment? Better yet, ask yourself, do you know it? Are you able to share it with others? Don't just allow the serpent to inject its deadly venom into your loved ones. Crush the head of the snake. Shut its mouth. Silence it with the sword of the Spirit, the very word of truth. And as for you younger guys in the room, to the singles in the room, the same charge applies to you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. You know, picture this. What kind of father would I be if, if I had a, a place in my household? Let's say I had a, a hole in the floor of my house, and there was a, a den of venomous snakes, and I told my children and my wife, just, just avoid that area. I don't want to deal with that. Just don't, don't go near there. It's on, it's on this side of the house. We can stay over here and be just fine. And I go off to work. I go off to the gym. I go off to the grocery store. All the while hoping, just hoping my children don't stumble upon it. 
God has called us to go in and take out those areas, to kill those snakes, to board up that floor, remove it. What does that look like in your life? I don't know. Maybe it's a a subscription to a certain TV channel. Maybe it's removing the internet, taking a quarter away at night. I don't know. Whatever it is, let the Spirit lead you in that. Don't just look at them. Kill the snakes. Shut the mouth of the serpent. That's our call. That's the charge. That's that's the, the mark, the aim we're supposed to hit. But if we're honest, we have all failed to do that. We have all failed to answer that call. That's the bad news. The bad news is that every single person in this room, all of the deacons, Pastor Jesse and myself included, we have all drifted from God's Word at one point in our lives or another. We have all failed to answer that call. But the good news is, the story does not end there. The good news is, as we will soon see that God pursues us, even in the midst of our failures. And He calls out to us with His Word. And when we draw near to that Word, it leads to restoration. And it leads to life. And that's where we're going to pick things back up in verse 9. Point number 2, you can see it on the screen if you're following along. Drawing near to God's Word leads to restoration in life. Guys, this is big. You know, I've been in this book for 25 plus years. And I've only just now seen this for the first time in my entire life. Studying the text this week, look in verse 9. Even in the midst of Adam and Eve drifting away from God in their state of sin, shame, and rebellion, how does God respond? Look carefully in verse 9. We see the heart of a loving, compassionate Father as revealed to us out of the very heart of God. He is already in a state of faithful pursuit of His children as He seeks them out, as He calls out to them. But also notice the accountability factor here. Who does God call out to first? In verse 9, the Lord called out to the man and asked Adam, Where are you? Guys, please know this. God knows exactly where Adam is in this moment. How do I know that? God is omniscient. That means that God knows literally everything. Why do I say that? Because passages like 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 tell us that God knows everything. Listen, church, I mean, God has every single number, one of your hairs numbered. You think he's lost track of one of his two children at this moment? He knows exactly where he is. And he knows exactly where you are too. Even in the midst of your darkest of days that you could ever go through, God knows exactly where you are as he's calling out to you. You know, I think of this interaction between God and Adam as almost comical. Like, I I can't help but laugh every time I read a line in here. God, excuse me, Adam proceeds to tell God exactly what he already knows, as recorded for our own benefit in his word. Hey, listen to what Adam says. Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I hid myself out of fear because I was naked. 
I love how God responds. This is one of my favorite questions in the Bible. Who told you that you were naked? (laughs) That's a question right there. God knows exactly what's going on here. How do I know that? Well, just look a little bit further, right? Check out what he says directly after that question. Did you eat of the tree to which I told you not to? You know, this reminds me when I was a little kid. My mom might remember this story. (laughs) I came into her room one day covered in chocolate. I mean, I had all my hands, my face, my shirt. It was all over me. My mom says, did you eat a fudge pop? I ain't no fudge pop. What's all over you? <gasps> uh, I think I was playing in mud. Like, I don't know what I said, but it was, it was not a good answer. But God knows exactly what's going on in this moment. It's a rhetorical question. Did you eat of that tree? It's all over him. The blame game soon, soon unfolds, though, doesn't it? Man, as a matter of fact, practically blames God by saying the woman whom you gave to me gave it to me. So basically, it's your fault. And the woman soon shifts the attention to the serpent saying, no, 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 no. He deceived me. It's his fault. Down the line they went, blaming one another. You know, there's so many interesting perspectives we could look at there in verses 9 through 20. But because of our time, we're only going to look at just a few. But the first is this. (laughs) Adam basically blames God. Initially by saying, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. You know, the world, I believe the world has missed the mark when it comes to accurately understanding the theological implications of this passage. You know, some have even gone as far as saying, you know, this is why women have a hard time figuring out where they want to go out to eat because of this moment. Some people have said maybe this is why men should never ask them where they want to go out to eat. But that's missing the mark. How do we know this? We have to remember what the Bible has said. What does the Bible tell us? Why did he make women in the first place? Genesis 2, 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Also, 1 Corinthians eleven eight 8-9. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither... Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Church, God gave to humanity the gift of womanhood. It is not a bad thing. It is a very good thing. I might get an amen from some of the guys in here by saying that. It's a good thing. right? It was, it was not good that we should be left alone. You know, you know, God told Adam, it's not good for you to be left alone. Or if any other man were to be left alone. I mean, just think of what would happen, right? You think the fall of humanity was bad without a, with, with a woman being there? What would have happened if she wasn't around? We wouldn't even be here in the first place. I know from personal experience, my boys and I, we struggle just to survive when my wife seldomly slips away. I mean, you can forget about there being fruit on the menu in our household. We're going to live off Taco Bell, Doritos, and action movies. Just being honest. She knows. But in all seriousness, look at how God soon soon begins to restore order to his creation by who he holds accountable. You know, at first the serpent went to Eve, right? It was the serpent, then to Eve, then to Adam. 
But God addresses Adam first, Eve second, serpent third. Also notice that the Lord accepts dialogue between Adam and Eve, but he doesn't allow the serpent to respond, not even to utter one word. Why? That serpent has already said enough, and he only speaks in lies. Like a loving father, he already begins protecting his children from the lies of the serpent, and he soon moves into disciplining them. And not only that, but setting into motion a plan to which all redemption for all of humanity will unfold. We see that the Lord curses the serpent, forcing him to crawl on his belly and to eat dirt for the rest of his days. Now, this is pretty cool. I, I don't know if you know this, but I used to be a science teacher. I taught biology. One of the favorite things that we would, we would, we would teach on is the fact that snakes have hip bones. Snakes still have markings of this moment. When God said, from this day you shall crawl on your belly, God left them with a little reminder. If, I got a slide on there. I don't know if it shows up, but if not, you can Google it. Snake have hip, there, there they are. I don't know if you can see that. To this day, snakes have hip bones. Pretty amazing stuff. Science and religion. Perfect. Anyways, back to the text. <laughs> we can also see that God disciplines the woman saying that painfully she will struggle to deliver children. And she will also be prone to resist her husband's rightful leadership. And to the man, he will struggle just to provide for his own household. He will have to battle through thorns and thistles, toil and tilling. By the sweat of his brow, he will provide for his family. But we also see that through God's word, there's a little glimmer of hope, a promised plan of redemption, which we know especially in verses 15 through 20. So go there real quickly in the, in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, 15 and 20. I want you to underline, circle, or highlight Genesis 15 for a moment. This is a very special passage in the Bible, and that is because biblical scholars refer to this as the proto-euangelion. This is the first place in all of Scripture where the gospel is alluded to. In it, God says that he will put enmity between the serpent and the woman, between her offspring and his offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. How does that speak of the gospel? Well, the Puritan pastor Matthew, Matthew Henry says this, in this passage, it speaks of Christ's incarnation, his coming in the flesh, this offers to us great encouragement, especially to sinners, because the Savior is the promised seed of the woman to come. He came bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He shared in our sufferings and death. This verse also speaks of Satan's bruising his heel, that is, his human nature. But while the heel was bruised temporarily on earth, the head is crushed eternally in heaven. This exchange of blows took place on the cross where Christ's victory over Satan baffeted Satan's temptations and restored and rescued our souls from his hands. By his death, Christ gave a fatal blow to the serpent, a wound to the head of the serpent that will never be mended. As the gospel gains ground, Satan is the one who actually falls away after soul after soul is liberated from his sting of death. 
Also in Genesis 3.20, we see that Adam again renames his wife Eve. At first she was called woman because she was taken from man, but now he calls her Eve because she will be the mother of all living. Beloved pastor R.C. Sproul said this, that Adam's choice of naming her Eve demonstrates his faith in God's promised word. That the woman's offspring will one day bear fruit of the Savior to come to rescue us from sin and death. You know, I believe this passage is a, shares with us a beautiful picture of the heart of God. Though we have drifted away towards rebellion and death, God draws near to us, calling out to us to draw near to his voice, his very word. You know, God, it, the Bible says that God did this in the coolness of the day. I think that's Genesis 3 verse 8. Scholars believe that this was probably in the afternoon, just before darkness fell. You see, God didn't want to leave us alone in the dark, naked and afraid. God came to us with the light of his word and offered to us a plan of redemption. And he does the same for us today. We're going to move on to our third and final point here of today's message, and that's this. The destination of God's word leads to redemption through Christ. That's in verses 21 through 24. The destination of God's word leads to redemption through Christ. You know, this, this grace doesn't come without a price. Yes, our God is patient with us. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. But the Bible says that he will by no means clear the guilty. God is not a liar. There is still the price of death to be paid. We see that in verses 21 through 24. God saw right through their dead works. He took one look at his children, shaking behind their fig leaves what they sewed together. And they, they soon realized that it's not going to cut it when it comes to covering their sin. Just given enough time, because there's no life in those leaves, they're going to fall apart and crumble. The scriptures teach us that if life is going to be sustainable, it must remain connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. In Genesis 3.21, we read that the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. Did you catch that? The holy Lord God Almighty made for sinful Adam and Eve clothing from skin, and he covered them. Can you hear the gospel oozing out of that verse? Can you see the shadow of the cross cast out from it? Charles Spurgeon says this about that verse. Some creature had to die in order to provide them with garments. Something had to be slain in order for God to cover their sin and shame. And we know that this is ultimately a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who will ultimately die in our place as he laid down his life, he was stripped naked on the cross in order that we might be clothed and robed in his spotless righteousness, covered in his gospel garments. Jesus is the spotless lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. He was the one who made for us a garment that covers all of our nakedness, all of our sin, and all of our shame. Because of this, we don't have to be afraid even when we stand before the judgment seat of God. 
Church, that is the destination of all of God's word. It points to the redemption that is found through Christ and through Christ alone. From the first few pages in the Bible, we see that life comes through the addition of God's word, but death comes from the removal of it. This is why God's word needed to become flesh and to dwell among us so that it could do what we could never do, that it would fulfill all righteousness on our behalf. I know this is kind of hard for us to understand, but this has always been God's plan A from the beginning. It's no accident. We know that because verses like 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20 tells us that Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So the entire word of God has but one destination, one main point, and that is Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, we see Jesus Christ Concealed, But in the New Testament, we see Jesus Christ revealed. In the Old Testament, we see Jesus Christ predicted. But in the New Testament, we see Jesus Christ presented. From Genesis to Revelation, from cover to cover, it is a book about Him. Every single story casts His shadow. Do you know this? Do you hear this? Do you believe this? Is your faith in the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. If not, if your faith is anywhere else, if your faith is in any other work, I can promise you this, just give it enough time. There's no life in those those works. They're dead works. Just like those leaves over time, they're only going to crumble and expose your nakedness, sin and shame. This is why it is imperative that we repent and believe the gospel. Come to Christ today and call out for His righteous robes to cover you. You know, as we close here in verses 22 through 24, we see that if left to our own devices, we would have had an opportunity for irreversible consequences. If man would have reached out and taken hold of the tree of life and eaten of it, the Bible says that he would have lived forever in that state. But in God's gracious wisdom and kindness, He cast them out of the garden, protecting them from those repercussions. But I want you to consider one last fascinating truth, and it's this. (laughs) One day, God will make a way for us to eat of this tree again. He will send another spirit, the Holy Spirit, and it will attest to our souls another tree of life known as the cross. God knew that the problems of sin, death, and shame came from us taking something off of the tree. But he knew he could fix it by him putting something else upon it in our place. You know, perhaps in your own time, you can look at Romans 5, 18 through 21, where it explains this perfectly. But 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22 says this, For by a man came death, By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Similarly to Adam and Eve, hiding behind the trees in the garden, afraid to approach God, we now can hide behind a different tree and approach God's throne. And that tree is known as the cross. Yes, death came through the fall of just one man, but life came through the lifting up of just one man, and that was the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. 
Death came through taking something off of the tree, but life came by placing something else upon it. Death came through the separation of God's word from man, but life came through the union of God's word in man, in the Lord Jesus Christ. The tree of death, known as the cross, has now become for us a tree of life to all who draw near. Do you have ears to hear that today? If so, I have some amazing truth for you today. I have some amazing news. Though one tree kept you from the tree of life in the garden, another tree, the cross, will enable you to draw near. This is really cool. The tree of life shows back up in the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7 says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant them to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Who are those who conquer? Revelation twenty two fourteen tells us, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Church, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If so, you will eat of this tree again. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, my mind automatically goes back to the D-Now we had a week or two ago where a young lady asked a question. God, why did you put that tree in the garden? Knowing what was at stake, knowing our sinful tendencies, why would you put that tree in the garden? And the answer that was given is one that touches my heart to this day. Before that moment, we only knew you as creator. But now we know you as redeemer. God, I pray that everyone in this room would know that without a shadow of a doubt, that you not only are the creator of everyone and everything, but are also the redeemer of it. Help us, Father, not to drift from your word in a state of sinful rebellion, because death will soon follow. Help us to draw near so that we may be restored to life. Thank you, God, for the destination of your word, which is redemption through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.